Ahoy! It's your boy, and welcome to episode 20 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you find good podcasts. And uh, take a moment to rate and review the show, give it five stars, and think of one person in your life who you think would like the show and share it with them. Find your favorite episode, shoot them an email and say, hey, I'm smart, you're smart, we probably both like this podcast. Give it a throw. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, if you want to connect with the podcast on Instagram or Twitter, you can at this is M Pod. And if you want to connect with me personally, you can at this is M XOXO. Um, also, yes, I was literally just thinking, I know there's something I always want to plug that I forget to, and I don't think we got uh, to it until the end of the last episode, but I have a new playlist of all the original music I released in 2019. It's called Gentleman Caller, and uh, if you look up M, the heir apparent on Spotify, that's the letter M, the H-E-I-R apparent, uh, you'll see it featured on my uh, Spotify musician playlist there. It's called Gentleman Caller. It's all the original music I released in 2019 in one convenient playlist. So check it out. Uh, follow it, share it, loop it. Um, dude, do that thing that Wolfpack... Do, do you know the band Wolfpack? They were, they did this thing like uh, maybe like four or five years ago, but it was goddamn brilliant. But they created an album of silence. I think it was like 10 tracks of... 10 30 second tracks of just silence and um they just asked all their fans to stream it and just put it on a loop and just have it playing on in the background during their day <clears throat> and they made like quite a bit of money before spotify pulled it but what a brilliant way to raise funds but um uh if you don't want to listen to the songs I, I mean i want you to listen to the songs but if you don't want to listen to them a thousand times just put it on play loop it and just turn the volume down on your computer and just go about your day man Let's fucking fill this treasure chest, man. I'm trying to build a war chest for the campaign of this fucking podcast and my life in general. But um, but, uh, but really, check out the playlist. I think you'll like it. Um, dude, episode 20. We're out of the teens. We're into the 20s. And literally, as I was walking over to my computer just now to record, I was thinking, wow, episode 20. You know, it the podcast feels like it's both going by incredibly fast and incredibly slow. It's strange to think that this didn't exist just a couple months ago. And uh, I know, I don't know, if you're a fan of any other podcasts, I mean, I'm thinking of like the Joe Rogan show has like th over a thousand episodes. You know, other podcasts I listen to have um, similar numbers or even just a few hundred. So, you know, I know 20 isn't huge in the large uh, in the in the scheme of things, in the large scheme of things, the big scheme of things, but um, I mean, I, it's over twenty hours, that's for sure. I mean, we have a four hour episode on this podcast, so that's you know, what are we at? Twenty four hours of content. That's that's uh, that's not bad. Um, but yeah, thanks for. And you know what? You know what? I was thinking. Literally, uh, I forgot to mention on the last episode. I think I was listening back to episode eighteen at some point during the week that it came out, and. I, dude, I was laughing, you know, I, I literally forget what we talk about on these podcasts. Um, and then I go back and listen to them and sometimes I do, I laugh out loud. Now, does that make me a dick? I don't know, but dude, I make myself laugh and, uh, and I just was laughing and I go, you know what? I love doing this. You know, I, I, this is my favorite part of the week. 
there's plenty of other fun stuff that happens. I mean, I love spending time with my girlfriend. Schools, you know, when it's going well, it's good to feel productive. But there's a special excitement I get when it's time to sit down and do the podcast. And I think because I had struggled with the recording for a little bit recently, I mean, sometimes I hit these streaks where I go, man, you're really figuring this out. Like, you're finding your voice, man. You're getting it going. I feel I feel the momentum, you know? And uh, and then all of a sudden, I'll sit down to do the podcast, and it feels fucking impossible. And then I think, dude, what's going on? But the last couple episodes have, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just feeling satisfied, you know? I'm glad that I sat out on this um, journey to do the podcast. And lo and behold, here we are, episode 20 and, uh, no sign of slowing down. So if you've been listening this whole time, thank you. If you're just jumping on, welcome. And, uh, thanks for listening. It means a lot. It's, uh, you know, it feels weird uh, to sit down and think that people might care what I have to say. But, uh, like I said, the messages I get people saying, Hey, it's nice hanging out with you once a week. Um, I even had a couple friends who recently started listening to the podcast who said, Hey man, this is great. It's like hanging out with you. And it's like, dude, that's exactly what I'm going for. So thank you. Um, so it means a lot that you listen and thanks for doing that. Dude, Kobe Bryant died. Dude, Kobe Bryant died. And I was laying in bed with my girlfriend on like Monday night. I think he died on Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. And Monday night I was laying in bed with my girlfriend and I hadn't thought about it. And then we both thought of it at the same time. And I was just like, dude, Kobe Bryant's died. And I don't know why, but that kind of affected me. Not like in a real, not like in a real way. I mean, um, but I remember when I just saw the news, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm not a basketball fan. I'm not a Kobe Bryant fan. I'm not a Lakers fan, not a basketball fan, not a sports fan. But there was something about seeing that news where my first reaction was, oh no, I don't want him to be dead. I mean, it kind of reminded me of like when Tupac died. I mean, I was around for the whole Tupac heyday. It was like right in my uh, wheelhouse in terms of my age and my demographic. But I was not like a big Tupac fan. I mean, I had a couple of his records, but um, I even had his Machiavelli record when that came out. But I remember when the news came out that he, w- that he w- had been shot and died, I remember just being kind of floored. You know, I think part of it is he's probably one of the first celebrities who died who I was like, you know, fully aware of. I mean, I remember Kurt Cobain dying as well. Um, but even that was probably just, probably just before it really could have affected me. But uh, Tupac died and I just remember being like, oh God, like I don't want him to be dead. You know, for whatever reason, it just felt like now the world was missing someone. And I was fucking confused. I felt the same way about Kobe Bryant. You know, and I don't know what it means, but I remember seeing that news and just being like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want him to be dead. And as I've just sort of, you know, been going through my life, I've been hearing a lot of people say the same thing. And there, there's some that I'm sort of, sometimes when someone dies, there's an outpouring that I'm sort of confused by. Like Neil Pert also recently died, the drummer for Rush. And uh, not that I'm, you know, not that anyone's death is less significant, but I'm sort of confused by the outpouring, you know, when someone like that dies. Chris Cornell was another one. Um, I didn't, you know, I think there is, you know, there's, I think a lot of mourning is sort of grandstanding. You know, I think other people's death is usually an occasion for 
Um, I felt like Prince was this way. You know, when Prince died, everybody, there was this huge outpouring of emotion. When I know fucking most people weren't even fucking listening to Prince. Do you know what I mean? You know, a lot of times people, someone will die and then that just sends people running to like consume their back catalog so that they can pretend like they were huge fans of this person their whole life where I fucking know nobody was listening to fucking Prince. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, um, I don't know why that reminded me. I remember when his record Rainbow, the Rainbow Children came out. <laughs> I remember buying that record when it came out and being very confused by it, uh, kind of enjoying it, but also being kind of confused by it. Um, dude, I actually saw Prince before he died. I remember a couple years before he died, he was playing with this all-girl backing band, and they were playing like rock music. Um, I don't know if they came out with a record or not, but um, he played at this local venue in San Francisco in San Francisco called DNA Lounge, um, which my friend um, ended up managing, coincidentally. I don't know if he was working there at the time. Maybe he was. I don't know. Um, but it's this venue, DNA Lounge. It's on the same street as Slim's, which is a, a venue I've played at. It's actually, Slim's is a venue that, before I even lived out here, I was just like visiting San Francisco for whatever reason, and I saw a reggae artist named Luciano at Slim's. Um, it's weird to think that I was like probably, I don't even know how old I was, man. I was probably like 19 or something like that. And seeing Luciano on a stage that I would, I would eventually play myself. I opened up for John Bellion there. Uh, it was like a sold out show. Uh, I had already opened up for John Bellion at bottom of the hill to a sold out crowd. And, uh, he was back in town, opened up for him a second time, sold out crowd at Slim's. It's just weird, you know, how life works out that you end up on this, on a stage that you saw another artist on, but DNA lounge is like right next door. And it probably, I don't know, probably holds maybe a few hundred people, 350, 400, maybe 500, but probably not, probably not even that much. Um, but Prince just announced that he was playing like, I think he did like four shows there, two nights, Two, two nights, two, two shows each or something like that. Probably like a nine o'clock and an 11 o'clock show. And uh, tickets were like $250 a piece. And uh, I ended up getting at least one ticket. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of a cool little green ticket that they gave you. But um, anyway, saw Prince there. He didn't play. He played all fucking new music. He had this all girl rock group and all the songs kind of sounded the same. They were like kind of these rock songs with huge guitar solos for every single goddamn song. And it was okay. Uh, I was kind of expecting a kind of a shitty show, but I think the thing that really stood out to me is one, I was incredibly close to the stage. So Prince was literally like, you know, I was like in the fourth, I was standing in like the fourth row back or whatever of people. So like literally, you know, how, I don't know how far away that is 10 feet or something like that. I was standing 10 feet from Prince while he was fucking shredding on his guitar. I was surprised at how lucid he was. I don't know why I expected him to be out to lunch. You know, I think I had just seen Bob Dylan a couple times, you know, in the last couple of years before that. And Dylan just sort of stands on stage and mumbles through his songs. And uh, you don't even know what song he's playing until you get a snatch of the chorus, you know, because they're all rearranged and played in this sort of different style Americana slash sometimes it's like a, a big bandy. That's not quite the right word for it. I don't really know. American standard sort of fucking vibe or whatever. So sometimes you don't even know what the song is until you hit the chorus and you catch a snatch of the lyric. And um, and uh, to be fair, that still sparked a whole period of my life where I was really interested in, in Bob Dylan as a personage and like reading biographies about him and listening to his early music and uh, watching documentaries on him. And so, uh, you know, that was still formative and important. But the live performance, it's just bizarre almost, really. 
um, you sort of, because everybody else on the stage is so animated, sometimes you, a couple songs go by and you realize, oh, I have, I haven't even been looking at Bob Dylan. I've been looking at, <laughs> at everybody else on stage, you know, like they're the real showman, you know, the, the show is his band when you see Bob Dylan now. Um, so for, I don't know why, for whatever reason, I thought Prince was going to be checked out too, but he was so lucid and he was like, he, he was like clearly having a fucking blast or at least he was, you know, you know, he was, uh, that's what he convinced me. He was having a good time. And I remember he was playing the solo at one point and he like took his guitar off and I'll never be able to describe, it, but he like was playing and he just like rips his guitar off and he holds it out to the crowd. Like he's going to give it to them. And then as soon as people start reaching for it, he snatches back and gives them like a very coquettish, like, Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. Like I didn't even realize it was going to be like this, dude. So he plays like his whole set and shreds and nobody knows what the fuck he's playing. Cause like, you know, nobody's listened to the fucking new record, you know? And then he comes back for his encore and he plays like all of his, he plays like six of his hits, you know, like a little red Corvette and all that fucking shit. And, uh, he's like playing it at a piano or something. Dude, that fucking killed. That was pretty, I mean, that was pretty cool. That was kind of the right way to do it. You know, they say don't hide the hits in the encore. It's sort of a platitude you hear about musicians sometimes, but I actually, I see that pretty regularly you know like i remember one of the best shows i ever went to was i saw phoenix at the warfield in san francisco and phoenix is sort of a funny band because i remember i think their record alphabetize i think is what it's called they had a couple songs that i stumbled on um dude i feel like every time i tell an anecdote i say oh i was probably like 19 17 18 19 but dude that was just like a really formative time in my life i guess but i remember stumbling on phoenix around that time and they had a couple songs that really intrigued me. And I remember, I think YouTube was like just becoming a thing. And I remember like seeing some of their videos and there was just something about them that intrigued me. I never was like fully won over by them, but I always had my, they were just on my radar. Do you know what I mean? I really wanted to like them for some reason. And they had a couple real bangers, but I never was really like taken in by all their records. But I remember right before the album Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix came out, which ended up being a fucking huge record for them. I remember seeing it and like it kind of anticipating it coming out. And I rem I, I think I bought it like on iTunes, like the day it came out and I fucking loved that record. Like that was just one of those records that I just played on repeat for like six months, you know? Um, and I think it was like a lot of records in my time or yeah, a lot of records around that time that I fell into, I was sort of isolated, you know? So I didn't really realize what an impact some things were having. I just sort of loved them privately like I know Kings of Leon was a band that I sort of got on to early before they blew up here in the United States. And when I saw them in San Francisco, I saw them at the Warfield also before they were big. There was that like the first show I saw when I moved out to San Francisco to the Bay Area in 2007 was seeing Kings of Leon at the Warfield. And you could literally just like walk up to the front of the fucking stage, do you know what I'm saying? Um this was like right after Because of the Times came out, which is probably my favorite record of theirs. Um, but Phoenix also, I was in, I was loving this new record. I had no idea that it was a fucking big album. I ended up seeing, I ended up seeing them at the Warfield for that tour for the Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix tour sold out and I just fucking blown away. Like it was just such a good goddamn show. Do you know what I mean? And all my favorite songs from the record fucking were incredible live, great light show. And the lead singer was just so nonchalant. He had a cool kind of like eyes open the whole time, not really performing this sort of, but it just, it worked, you know what I'm saying? And they played their whole set and it was like, I was kind of moving toward the back, like kind of like, all right, well, I'm getting ready to get out of here before to beat the crowd. 
And I had completely forgotten they didn't even play 1901, which is like the big song from Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix from that record. And they played like a fucking 12-minute version of it for the encore that was just that just fucking killed. Do you know, a lot of times you go to shows and I feel most... I, I Honestly, I think most live shows are disappointing. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but most live shows I go to after like three or four songs, I've kind of had my money's worth and I could leave. Do you know? And it's not like I'm having a bad time, but... I don't know. I think we overestimate our patience and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the the time and the age we're living in, but I feel like after about three or four songs of most bands, I'm kind of good, you know? And, um, you know, you always ask someone after they come from, come, come out from a show like, Oh, how was it? Oh, it's so good. Eh, eh, I think most, most people are trying to sell the experience. Do you know what I mean? But there's a few times where I've seen bands where literally, and it's not the whole show, but there will be, it's peppered with moments where I go, dude, this is everything you want out of a show, where you really feel swept up in it, you feel great, you're having a good time. And uh, seeing Phoenix play a fucking 12-minute rendition of 1901 for the encore at the Warfield in San Francisco in maybe like 2009 or 10 or some shit like that, dude, it was fucking incredible. And the whole crowd was just losing their goddamn mind. And uh, like he, I remember at one point the lead singer was like out in the crowd, like standing on one of the fucking, I don't know, dude. I, I don't know if he was like crowd surfing or whatever, but dude, it was pretty fucking incredible. But that was great. That was one of the best live moments I've ever seen. And actually, another one was seeing Kings of Leon at the Warfield. Um, I remember they opened with my favorite song of theirs at the time, Charmer. And uh, it opens up with this bass line. It's like, and the fucking lights were just flashing. And I just remember being like, oh shit, this is really fucking happening. Because they were like one of my favorite bands at the time. Their first three records especially were just like, I had those on repeat for like a year and a half. And uh, even when uh, Only By The Night, which was like their big record, came out, um, what, even after that record came out, they came to, uh, San Francisco and were still playing the Warfield. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they were selling out arenas in the UK and they'd come to the U S and like nobody fucking really knew who they were. Um, and I think I've seen them like five times now and every time it just got bigger. Do you know what I mean? Like I saw them at the Warfield twice, saw them at, and then I think the next time I saw them and Phoenix as well, I think was actually, I saw them at outside lands, which is a big music festival out here. Um, and I saw them at um, Bill Graham Civic Auditorium, which is huge. Um, and yeah, after that, just fucking dropped off. I remember their record, Come Around Sundown, came out, and I was just like not interested at all. And uh, I think they've come out with a, with a few records since, Mechanical Bull and uh, Faces or something. And I was just, dude, didn't even fucking listen to those records. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, something about Prince, something about people dying, <laughs> something about Kobe Bryant, dude. Who knows where we go, why, where we go, and why we go there. Uh, but yeah, Kobe Bryant dying. Yeah, that kind of affected me. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Even people that you don't really care about, uh, you know, or you just don't even give them any thought, really. You know, a celebrity passes away, and you just go, "Oh shit!" Like I don't want that person to be dead. <laughs> You know, I don't know if there's an added tragic element that, you know, he dies in this helicopter crash with his daughter, but you just think, maybe there was something just so unexpected about his death that you think, what did he think in that moment, you know? Like, here he is, one of the best basketball players of all time, um, 
you know, no man knows the hour or time or how <laughs> of his death, but you know, if it was sort of predestined, you know, if somebody had said, Hey, you're going to die in a helicopter crash. Like, doesn't it just seem a little incongruous? You know, I don't know how people are supposed to die. Like there's this, you know, I, maybe I'll piss people off by saying this, but there's this phrase that people say all the time. They'll say, fuck cancer. Do you know? Like, and usually it's people who've had some experience of cancer. They've lost a family member to cancer or something like that. And they'll just say, fuck cancer. And I sympathize, but I'm also, (laughs) dude, I don't know, but I, I hear that and I think, I just have this voice that I never fucking say, but I always think, well, how are people supposed to die? Do you know what I mean? If they're not supposed to, I think there's, maybe this goes back to what we were talking about in the last episode. You know, we were talking about the death of Ivan Ilyich. Um, you know, we were talking about this idea that dying isn't something that happens to you. Dying is something that you do. Dying is something that we all do. You know, we are all going to die. And, um, you know, I, you know, look, uh, let's revisit this conversation when I lose a family member to cancer or when I lose uh, my partner to cancer or when I'm dying of cancer. But at least from an outsider's perspective, there's this sense like when one is dying or when someone else is dying that they're being taken away from them. You know, they're being cut down in their early in their life as if we're all sort of entitled to uh, to live a long life and, and die in our old age. You know, and I'm not dismissing that feeling. I sympathize. I want to live a long life too. But uh, but uh, this idea of fuck cancer as if it's somehow doing something that's sort of, I don't know, that's sort of against the cosmic will or something. Do you know what I mean? As if it's doing anything wrong. I mean, it, cancer is just doing what it does. And, um, and people die. That's what they do. And so if cancer is not going to kill people, um, what, how should people be dying? you know? And, but there is this sense when I think about Kobe Bryant dying in a helicopter crash where you think, oh, really that way? <laughs> you know, is that how Kobe Bryant was supposed to go? And I, I don't know how I, you know, imagine he's supposed to be going, but there's something about that death that feels incongruous with like who he was. You know, I, I brought this up with a friend and, and I don't know how we got on the topic, but we were thinking about the actor Bill Paxton, who was in Twister, he was in Frailty. I mean, he did a lot of shit, but those are the first roles that sort of jump out for me. Um, Apollo 13, uh, or is it Apollo 11? I guess it's Apollo 13. What was it? I don't know. You know the Tom Hanks movie. (laughs) Um, I think it's Apollo, is it Apollo 13? (laughs) Oh, God. Um, But anyway, Bill Pax is in that, and a good actor. Um, But he died, I think, I bet as soon as I Wikipedia this, it'll fucking be different, but I think he died like after a routine surgery. I think he was like recovering from heart surgery or something and died of a stroke. Um, you hear about other celebrities just dying on a, the operating table of a routine surgery, do you know? And there's something about some people's death that just feels, yeah, incongruous is the word I keep thinking of. There's a saying, you know, uh, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but there's an old saying that says, Count no man lucky until you see his death, which always hit me pretty hard. You know, you look at someone like Kobe Bryant and you think, oh, this guy's got everything going for him. You know, he's got the the world on a, is it the world on a string? Is that, is that this fucking saying? The world is his oyster and he's got money, he's got talent, he's got fame and uh, dies in a helicopter crash. 
you know? There's something humbling about that, you know? And I'm not saying that that's a bad death, um, but yeah. We were actually talking about it at work. Um, I have a coworker of mine who, um, it, I, we were also talking about this coronavirus, coronavirus that's going around, do you know? And she was saying, um, and I think we were probably talking about, maybe we were talking about Kobe Bryant and something about this death. And, and I, I, and actually I got in this idea of like, you know, what if your death made you famous? Like, what if you were kind of a nobody? And what if you were the victim of a serial killer? And now every time someone Googles your name, that's what they, your, your, um, you, your legacy will be attached to this criminal. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think we got on this, have you ever heard of the Darwin Awards? You know, people die in, in, and I use the word in quotes, stupid ways. You know, like you'll find articles now of people who died taking selfies. You know, someone's at uh, the Grand Canyon or something, and so they walk out onto a super spooky ledge because they want to get this great selfie photo and they fucking die or something like that. Or do these videos of people who do like parkour on rooftops. Like, if you go on YouTube, I'm sure you could find a whole reel of these fucking videos where people who are just doing, like, uh, parkour on rooftops, you know, or they're they're literally hanging off ledges. I don't even know what you fucking call this shit. I'm sure they, they consider it a sport. But, like, they'll climb to the top of the fucking Burj Al Arab and just hang from the fucking scaffolding. Do you know what I mean? And get a photo. Or they'll, they'll wear, like, one of those GoPro cameras. And, yeah, dude, these people fucking die, of course. Um... And I don't know, is it tragic? Is it not tra- tragic? You know, is it the same thing as like an like a, um, extreme skier or a hang glider or um, base jumping? Yeah, if you do extreme sports, you're going to die. But, um, but uh, yeah, so the Darwin Awards is like giving an award, quote, awards for people who die stupid ways. It's sort of Darwin taking out the garbage. Do you know what I'm saying? Like almost if you were engaging in that activity, you deserved it. But like, what if that was your legacy? And my coworker was saying, like, yeah, what if you were, like, patient zero for some fucking epidemic virus that, like, claimed millions of lives? And every time someone fucking Googled you, you were, like, the name that came up as, like, the host, you know, of uh, whether it's the coronavirus or fucking, like, didn't they say something about Ebola or maybe even HIV? Like, uh, she was describing, like, they're called zoo, uh, zoo viruses or something. Basically viruses that originate in animals and then jump to humans and wasn't isn't there some theory about hiv and aids that it it was began in chimpanzees and someone someone had sex with a monkey and fucking brought it to the human race you know what i'm saying what if that was you dude what if you were known as that guy or gal or they who fucking were the was the primary host of some fucking pandemic disease that fucking wiped out tons of people Scary stuff, man. Does that complete my thought? (laughs) Dude, it's so funny. I sit down to do this podcast and I think, oh, well, what's been going on this week and what will I likely talk about? And all of a sudden I'm talking about fucking monkeys. I don't just mean I'm talking about monkeys. I'm talking about fucking monkeys, having sex with monkeys. If I was a betting man, I would not have bet that that would come up. It's it's kind of weird, though, too. You think about celebrities dying, and you think, how long are people going to be thinking about Kobe Bryant? It's like all the tweets come out, you know, it hits the 24-hour news cycle, but 
it already feels like old news. Do you know what I'm saying? I think back to like when Princess Di died. When Princess Diana died, that was like on the news cycle for like six months. Do you know what I mean? There was special after special uh, dissecting it and and what, you know, um, and dude, even in the United States, I, I had never even fucking heard a princess die before that. Do you know what I'm saying? And that was just on a fucking constant loop in the news for like six months. Dude, when Columbine happened, that was that was a, a leading news story for like a year and a half. You know, I mean, it was fucking unheard of. And it was all anybody talked about for like a year and a half. And now the school shootings happen all the time and you don't even fucking hear about them. They're in the news for one day and then they fucking disappear. You know, the same thing with celebrity deaths now. Is that where we're at as a a society? As a society, is that where we're at? People just die and then they just fucking disappear? But yeah, celebrity deaths are kind of the perfect storm for what I, well, what I was literally, I, mean, I, I started talking about Prince, you know, Prince dies and everyone pretends like they've been a huge Prince, Prince fan their whole life. Where, why, where was the outpouring for Heath Ledger? Like, what was that about? You know, I know we loved him in the Joker, but that was another one of those deaths that I, I think I was, I don't know if I was on tour. I, I felt like I was traveling around when that happened. I think I was like, maybe I was driving around the country. I do. I don't know what was going on, but I remember Heath Ledger died and I was like kind of surprised at the response, you know, the same way I was surprised about, about the response to Prince, you know, uh, instantly it was like, everybody was fucking bereaved. And I was like, the dude from 10 things I hate about you <laughs> or a knight's tale. That was, that was the one that stuck out for me. I was like, Oh, the dude from a knight's tale. You know, I'm not speaking ill of the dead, but I remember, I mean, you know, he's great in The Dark Knight, and, you know, I guess he's good in Brokeback Mountain, but I don't know, I never really considered him, like, you know, an icon, you know, or I felt like when he died, people were talking about him like he was like the James Dean of our generation, and I just, I don't know, that that was, that was news to me. You know what I mean? That was news to me. I didn't, maybe I just don't have my finger on the pulse of society, but that was surprising to me. I didn't expect that kind of outpouring. I mean, the one that makes sense to me, regardless of how you feel about him, was Michael Jackson. I remember my homie Chuck Stedham fucking texted me and was like, dude, Michael Jackson died. And I was just like, what the fuck? It must have come up in a conversation because as I say it, I go, why would he text me about Michael Jackson dying? He must have known I was a huge Michael Jackson fan, but that was fucking, that was, I mean, that was bizarre, you know? I think there was even a news story that his death, like, you know, people talk about breaking the internet, you know, and what they really mean is just everyone was looking at it. But I think the amount of people looking up Michael Jackson had like ramifications on the fucking, <laughs> the uh, capacity of the internet or something like that. Like he literally, his death literally broke the internet. <clears throat> but, uh, I mean, I really felt that one. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, I, I, I know in one of the first episodes I was talking about all these musical chapters of my life, like my first, and I said my first favorite band was Bone Thugs and Harmony, and then I liked all these other bands in my life, and I completely forgot to mention Michael Jackson, you know? I mean, when I was a kid, I was monomaniacally obsessed with Michael Jackson. You know, I, I literally wanted to be him. I mean, we had two cassette tapes. One was the Moonwalker movie, 
And the first part is like this just sort of career retrospective of Michael Jackson that's incredibly well produced. And then the second half is the the film portion of Moonwalker, you know, that involves Smooth Criminal and all that fucking shit. And we also had the Thriller tape, which is, you know, the short film for Thriller and then the making of afterwards. I mean, I had those videos on a fucking loop at my house. I mean, I, you know, years will go by and like, I think like in the last couple of years, I've like found them on YouTube, which you can do. And it's like, I remember the cadence, you know, I'm watching a scene and I already know the rhythm of the cuts and the film editing and the transitions. Do you know what I'm saying? It's fucking crazy. Um, and I just remember, especially like the man in the mirror part of Moonwalker, which I think opens up the whole thing actually. Just, I don't know, dude, there's, there was something sort of supernatural or, or mystical about Michael Jackson. Do you know? Um, and I know, I think, I think they may have lost him. But, you know, my parents had these videos of me just like dancing in the living room like Michael Jackson. You know, we would put on these little shows and sometimes it would be magic, little fucking bullshit magic shows that we would do or little plays that we would literally make up on the spot. But we would like sit my parents down and perform for them. And dude, a couple of those times it was just me dancing to Michael Jackson, do you know? (laughs) And, uh, and I don't know, they used to have those on cassette tape and embarrass me. I mean, I remember one time they had company over and we're like, oh, you guys are going to get a kick out of watching dance like Michael Jackson. And I just remember like fucking being so fucking embarrassed. I mean, mortified. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, yeah, I was beside myself, not wanting them to show. I, I, I probably begged them. I was like, please don't show them this video, please. Yeah. It's funny, those things that you were mortified about as a, as a child, you would fucking cut your left arm off. You would cut your left arm off to see again, and they're fucking nowhere to be found, you know? It makes you think your parents don't really fucking love you, do you know? And you're like, God damn, this fucking treasured artifact from our uh, history as a family has just gone missing? What? But, uh, I mean, I remember in like, I'm trying to think when the sex, when the child abuse allegations came out. I think that was like 91, 92. Could have been as late as 94. I don't really remember. You know what? It probably... I know the the OJ verdict, which was another huge case around my early childhood. I know that probably was read... I think he was the verdict was like 95, 96 or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, it was... I was I think I was like eight years old. So then maybe this was like 91, 92. But I remember when that whole thing happened. I mean, there's a very famous video of him... Um, not a deposition. He made his own sort of PR video where he's like looking in a camera and describing the way he was sort of mishandled by the police and sort of pleading for the public to withhold judgment and that, and, um, that, excuse me, that he was innocent and all that sort of stuff, um, where his face is sort of fucking overexposed. It's like, it's, it's a bizarre video, but, um, especially knowing what we know now, if you've seen Surviving Neverland, the, um, I think it's HBO, the multi-part, uh, HBO documentary. Um, about, you know, the, uh, can we, do we have to say alleged abuse of the kids who fucking spent time with Michael Jackson growing up? But, um, but I remember when that, when that news story hit, I remember me and my brother both were huge Michael Jackson's fan, Michael Jackson fans. And I remember, I remember we did this ceremonious thing where we like, we had like a, a magic hat. We had like a hat from like a magic set that we had that like one of these false bottom magicians hats that was like made out of like cheap plastic or whatever. But I remember we put all of our Michael Jackson CDs in there and like in, like in the false bottom of the fucking magic hat and ceremoniously like put it on an upper shelf of our closet like as if we were swearing off Michael Jackson for what he had done, do you know? Um but yeah. 
and then his death, you know? I mean, the allegations alone were fucking huge. I mean, that was on the news cycle for like, you know, wh- however long it was going on. I mean, that was like leading news story um, every time there was developments, you know? Same thing with the OJ trial. I mean, that was fucking huge. I remember we literally listened to the verdict of the OJ trial in my fourth grade, in my fourth grade classroom. I mean, how fucking crazy is that? I mean, short of 9-11, I can't think of another time since then that a news story has infiltrated like the order of the day. Do you know, I mean, can you think of any news story going on right now that some development for would cause the, or, you know, teachers would be allowed to stop teaching and like put on a radio? Like we literally, in the back of our fourth grade classroom, our teacher pulled out a radio and we all crowded around uh, the radio to listen, to listen to the OJ verdict. I mean, that's fucking insane. I can't think of an equivalence. Or anything equivalent to that that's going on now or since, except for 9-11. And we didn't even have the news playing. But I remember when 9-11 happened, I remember going to school that day, and it was all anybody ever talked about. All of our classes were just dedicated to, like, talking about what was going on, do you know? <laughs> I mean, I think the only thing that would happen would, you know, like if Donald Trump was assassinated, you know, or something, something like that. You know? Another terrorist attack. You know, I mean, even these major shootings, like the Las Vegas shooting, I mean, these things just don't hit the way they used to. You know, we, we've, just, we've just acclimated to tragedy, I think. You know, we've acclimated to tragedy in a way that just, it just doesn't affect us anymore. You know, we've literally acclimated to it. You know, you hear about a school shooting and is it, apropos of nothing, is it a tragedy? Absolutely. But it doesn't feel like a tragedy anymore. It feels inevitable. I mean, you know, I'm not the first person to say this. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. I mean, just going through my life and bumping shoulders with all the fucking crazy people that I do. And I don't mean crazy as like a dismissive term. I mean... I mean, people in this world are fucking unhinged. Do you know what I mean? I I don't trust most people to drive safely, let alone own firearms. I'm amazed just given what I see in people most, like most of the, most of the time or the people that I interact with on a regular basis. I'm just surprised that these mass shootings don't happen all the time everywhere. And I'm sure it, as soon as I say that, someone can point, someone's going to pull up a map that shows me that they actually do. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, honestly. <clears throat> Although I feel bad. I mean, the minute you start talking about this stuff, you feel like, I don't know, you feel helpless, right? I mean, I don't know what the solution is. I don't. I don't know what. To, I don't even know what to begin to do about this stuff. I mean, I don't think. I don't, I don't think it would bother the, this person I'm talking about, but this coworker of mine who was talking about. Uh, I don't know if I made it clear that that you know, she had been researching the coronavirus, but um, um, you know, when I was this coworker, I was talking to him about Kobe's death and um. You know, uh, you know, would you want your, le- your, the legacy of your death to be like the victim of a serial killer or whatever? Um, but she's very honest about, you know, she, um, she spends a lot, of, like when she finds something she's interested in, like the coronavirus or whatever, she kind of goes, she does her, like, due diligence, um, 
uh, on the internet and, uh, you know, debates people politically or whatever. But I was talking about, you know, for me, I fucking unplug from all that shit, especially things I don't feel like I have any real control over. I just don't engage. Do you know what I mean? Like my MO most of the time is to completely fucking avoid social media, you know? And I certainly, well, I guess I should say what I actually do do. <laughs> I said do do, but what I actually do do, I do not engage with social media. Do you know what I mean? Like I do this thing now where like, I'll like, um, you know, are you like me? Like when you open up your internet browser, you have just like a, a, a small ecosystem of websites that you sort of bounce in between, you know, like, Oh, I'll check my email. I'll check Facebook. I'll check Instagram. I'll check this news site. I'll check this. I'll check YouTube. You know what I'm saying? Like you just have like six or seven websites that you just sort of bounce around. You know what I'm saying? One of them is like Facebook. Like I'll literally type into Facebook into the browser bar before I even realize what the fuck I'm doing. And I know that I'm not even thinking about it because I'll literally do it and then go, fuck this, bounce to something else. And then I'll go back to Facebook and be like, Oh, I was just looking at this. Like, why the fuck am I back here? Do you know what I mean? But like, I'll just sort of scroll Facebook and I'm trying to be more, you know, mindful when I'm on Facebook. As soon as I start scrolling and it always fucking happens, I start thinking, dude, fuck all this garbage. Dude, fuck that person. Like, oh, who gives a shit? I, as, as soon as I start feeling that, I go, uh, ah, get the fuck off this website. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what they fucking do. They show you shit to piss you off, to keep you engaged. So when I hear about people who engage, I just think, dude, that sounds like a nightmare to me. You know, my, my, my goal is to fucking steer clear, especially when it comes to the political shit. Like, have you, I mean, I, there is definitely a, a joy out of watching someone post like a, a, a fucking, uh, I was going to say discursive. That's not the word, a divisive Facebook post, some political post or some bullshit. And then just fucking see the comments. And usually it's like one or two people who just fucking go all in and you just see the fucking exchange where it's like, you know, they literally start hiding the fucking replies. They're like, you, you got to figure to see more and more because there's a lot of this fucking bullshit. And you just go back and forth and you just see the fucking comments and you're thinking, why? Why do people even fucking try? Do you know what I'm saying? And you never get the sense that anyone really knows what the fuck they're talking about, right? Like, I've never. have you ever seen one of those fucking Facebook comment wars or flame wars or whatever the fuck you want? Debates, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I hesitate even using that fucking term these fucking Facebook debates. Have you ever fucking seen anyone who really used, you had a strong sense and knew what the fuck they were talking about or was both sides just had a fucking litany or quiver of fucking resources, their own fucking partisan resources that they've read these highly attuned, um, uh, personal opinion that they've, uh, they've, uh, uh, cultivated in isolation that they're now fucking using to fucking berate the other person with. You know, and the, have you ever gotten the sense that it shifted anyone's perspective or is it just fucking in, you know, it's like I literally just reread this short story by Tolstoy called Sebastopol in December. Well, it's two stories. There's one is Sebastopol in May and the other one is Sebastopol in December. I can't remember which one's fucking which. One is like, um, what's it called when you refer to the audience as you? You do this, you do that. Is that second person? First person is I, I think third person is they, and I think the second person is you, right? Dude, your boy's dumb. Your boy's smart and dumb at the same time. But the one that's literally just sort of an omnipresent or omniscient, sorry, omniscient narrator talks about this battle in Sebastopol, um, which is a famous uh, uh, city in Russia where the, the French were trying to fucking invade and the Russians were had us, you know, defending Sebastopol. Um, but it describes the battle there. And why the fuck am I talking about it? Oh, it just talks about their fucking, um, um, I don't even know what you fucking call it now. Their fucking... Uh, 
uh, trenches, for lack of a better word. You know, they're just, they're literally just lobbing fucking rifle fire and cannon fire at each other from their from their fucking trenches, you know? And that's just what these fucking Facebook wars are. It's just, I'm in my trench, you're in your trench, and we'll just fucking lob shit at each other with really no aim in sight. We're just seeing what hits, do you know what I'm saying? You fucking volley some cannonballs my way, I volley some fucking cannonballs your way, and it fucking just goes on incessantly, do you know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's what Facebook is. But yeah, why why you would willingly enter into that, um, I just think you know, what victories could you have possibly had in the past that would encourage you that this time might be another, might, might be a good time to engage again or have they all end ended disappointingly? Do you know? You just sort of abandon it at some point, right? I mean, there's no, there certainly has never been a resolution to a fucking Facebook debate, do you know? They just end, right? And don't you just carry that with you for the rest of your day? Ugh. Dude, if someone cuts me off in traffic, it'll fucking it'll have a ripple effect throughout my day. If I got in a fucking Facebook debate with somebody, dude, that could ruin my goddamn year. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's hard, man, dude. I don't know, I don't know. You know, I try not to be fucking doom and gloom about this shit, but yeah, dude, we're we're not in a, we're not in a healthy place. You know, in our society, and uh, I mean, I, I feel like I start sounding like, uh, you know like a crotchety old podcast host when I say that, but, uh, dude, yeah, we're not doing well, man. Shit's kind of fucked up right now. I mean, last episode I was talking about seeing a beautiful day. Actually, I think I called it, won't you be my neighbor, which is actually the name of the, the Mr. Rogers documentary. But the film I had actually seen was a beautiful day in a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, the Tom Hanks biopic of Mr. Rogers was the film I actually saw with my girlfriend and talking about the difficulty of watching it and feeling very acutely like how angry I've become as an adult. You know, Facebook brings up the exact same thing for me. You know, I, you know, does it really change my opinion? No, but I talk about just scrolling Facebook and my, my overarching fucking feeling is disgust. Do you know, even, it's, even when people are, I don't know, it it just all feels fucking performative. Do you know what I mean? So it's hard. I try to tell myself the minute I start scrolling Facebook and I'm like, dude, fuck this, fuck that person, fuck all these people. I just say, dude, get off. You know, my buddy, Matt, who I've always, I've talked about a lot on this podcast, my boy, Matt Evans. Hey, Matt, what's up, dude? Shout out to your boy, Matt Evans, dude, our fucking MVP of the podcast for 2019. My buddy, Matt Evans, he's been living with this concussion for a while. You know, he can't look at screens, you know? It's like a fucking blessing when you think about it, but his concussion has kept him away from screens and social media for... Dude, I like a year? I mean, I don't know, Matt. Dude, fucking correct us uh, here on the podcast. But dude, how long have you been off screens? And he said it's it's palpably changed his experience of the world. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you just completely disconnect from all that stuff, it just kind of, I, I, it has to take you back to reality, right? I mean, I was just hearing on another podcast something, I don't even know what it was, but somebody was talking about, you know, a lot of the eye trouble that adults are experiencing now is because of just staring at screens too much. And, you know, it's because, you know, your eyes are supposed to be, are supposed to be registering depth all the time, you know, seeing things that are far away, seeing things that are close and this constant flux of refocusing on the, the, you know, the distance and the middle distance and, uh, nearby that it keeps your eyes healthy, keeps them from, and when you just stare at a screen because everything's in one field, you know, the three dimension, 
it, you know, that's graphic design, you know what I mean? The perceived like three dimensions of video, that's all whatever, you know, it's just everything's flat and right there. Your eyes are so fixated on a fixed distance that it fucks up your vision, you know? Um, yeah, dude, I think I just brought that up saying like, yeah, dude, there's a, spending so much time on fucking screens is fucking us up in a lot of ways. Not that I'm dropping knowledge on anyone. We all fucking know that. But, um, yeah, dude, just unplugging from social media, you know? I think maybe maybe that's where a lot of my anxiety or my um, resentment of how angry I become comes from also is knowing that it's not fucking real. You know, it's not real shit. You know, I feel like online on the Internet and online and social media is just this fucking arena that we all choose to enter. And we do choose to, by the way, we certainly feel obligated because we think that's where the world is fucking taking place. It's not, dude. If it just fucking disappeared, we could go back to our real lives and what really goddamn matters. Do you know what I'm saying? Because so much of what happens, we fucking take this this bullshit arena of social media and the internet where all the stakes are fucking magnified, you know? Because it's happening in such a public forum, everything gets fucking amplified. Do you know what I mean? Like, I read this statistic that was um, most people uh, don't go... or at least when they interview people. Like, the logical thing is when you think, oh, why don't people go to their high school reunions anymore? Um, a lot of people say, probably, which is correct, that most people don't because they, why go to my high school reunion to connect with people? I've been following these people on Facebook for the last fucking 20 years. You know what I'm saying? I know what's going on with their lives. There's no, there's the novelty of re- going and seeing people and hearing about what they've been up to for X number of years is gone now. It's vanished now that people are connected on social media. And I can't fucking cite the study, but what I heard anecdotally was that when they interview people now and say, what keeps you from going to your high school reunion? It's the embarrassment that people feel over political things they've posted on Facebook. You know, they're embarrassed about things they've posted on social media. They don't want to like face the people that may have read this, you know? Now that we go through our lives and we're connected on social media, we're, we feel beholden to everybody we've ever come into contact with in our life. Do you know what I mean? Like I picture, if you go back and watch Indiana Jones and is it The Last Crusade or Raiders, or Raiders of the Lost Ark? What's the one with the big boulder? There's this whole scene where in the beginning where he's like walking through cobwebs, you know, and he's just fucking covered in cobwebs. That's our fucking lives now. Do you know what I mean? Like every chapter of our life, every step we take, we carry the people of our past with us. Before people used to just fucking disappear. Like your best friend who lived across the street from you when you were living in fucking Biloxi, Mississippi before you made the move to the big city after you graduated high school, that dude disappears and you fucking never talk to them again and they don't even fucking exist to you anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, your first girlfriend fucking disappears. Your fucking, you know, the, 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 the people that you worked with at your first job fucking disappear, you know? Even the friends of your fucking first girlfriend fucking disappear. But now, because everybody's connected on social media... You fucking take these people with you throughout your life. Like cobwebs. I don't know if I made that clear, but that's what our life is like. It's like walking through cobwebs and everything you walk through just sticks to you and you fucking take it with you. Dude, your boy's a poet. Um, and that informs everything that we share, obviously. Do you know? We feel like we're entering the public forum and, and we feel accountable to everybody that we've ever met. <clears throat> and that amplifies everything. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I don't know. I just feel myself getting angrier and angrier at shit. And I just, 
I, I just feel like I'm like, you know, I just hate the feeling of having to dance. You know, I know it's all bullshit. I feel myself getting angrier and angrier over something that's not fucking real. You know, and yet I do, I'm, I'm not better than anybody else, dude. I'm fucking glued to it too. Like I said, dude, I just fucking bounce around these websites, you know? And I'm, dude, I'm surprised actually for someone who, you know, I, I mean, I when I hear my coworker and, and, and she talks about her level of engagement on social media, I can hear that and go, well, I definitely don't engage to that extent. Do you know what I'm saying? And yet I'm surprised when I'm with my girlfriend, the amount of times I say, oh, I saw this thing on Instagram. Oh, I saw this video on Instagram. I saw this link on Facebook or someone posted this thing on Facebook. I think, damn, dude, for someone who, quote, doesn't spend a lot of time on social media, a lot of your fucking anecdotes stem from social media. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's weird. It's like I, I, I both feel, self, I have this sense of self-satisfaction. I'm like, well, at least I don't spend as much time on social media as other people. Dude, I don't know. Maybe I just, maybe I, maybe I do and I just engage in an entirely different way. You know, I'm that fucking sneak attack. I'm that lurker, dude. I'm that Facebook lurker, dude. <clears throat> I'm like lurking on people, you know? I'm just like silently scrolling and all the people who are posting shit that I fucking hate, I just sort of roll my... I'm literally, dude, I just... Uh, not guffaw, what do you call it? I scoff. I just, dude, I'm just lurking and scoffing, dude. I'm just going... <laughs> oh, this... Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, this person. Oh, I'm embarrassed for them. Oh, jeez. Oh. That, dude, that's my life, dude. I'm just scoffing at people from a distance. I'm snipe scoffing. I'm a scoff sniper, Sounds like a fucking Smurf or something. Scoff Sniper. Is that going to be the title of the episode? Dude, I hope not. Sometimes I'm going through and I'll say something and I go, oh, I think that's going to be the title of the episode. (laughs) I hope it's not Scoff Sniper. It becomes weird as you do this more and more, you know, and you start, I don't know, you, you sort of develop into your workflow and your process, how it sort of colors the experience you know like i recently you know i said we have our new social media handles this is mpod uh at this is mpod on instagram and twitter go go fucking give it a like you know what i'm saying connect with the podcast support the community i want to grow this community to empower people who like the podcast um let's build this community let's hold space for each other um for this podcast community um dude what the fuck am i talking about uh, where was I going with that? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, like I literally, like I wanted to hold these handles, right? Like I was like, I don't want anyone else stealing this is M pod or whatever. And I even, uh, I even made a YouTube channel for us. Cause we had this new uh, Gmail account. This is M pod at Gmail. If you got something, your boy, you want your boy to comment on or read or see, or you want to send, send something nice that you maybe want me to read on the podcast, or you want to send me something awful and tell me to go fuck myself. And you want me to read that on the podcast. You can send that to me. Go ahead and email it to me at thisismpod at gmail. But as I was, I've started like um, uploading not only the full podcast uh, to my YouTube channel, I've uh, been uploading clips. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I'll sort of uh, edit out segments that I think are sort of, you know, um, clear thoughts, you know, or, or stories or like the Dr. Pimple, the Dr. Pimple Popper thing is, is a clip. Um, talking about the language of suicide with David Foster Wallace. That's a clip. Talking about the death of Ivan Ilyich from the last episode. Um, I think it was the last episode. Um, those are all clipped out, you know, and put up as single, single videos on YouTube. But it, it, you know, it, you start to do these things more and more and it makes you think like you'll be telling a story and you think, Oh, is that going to be a clip? You know, uh, you start talking and you think, Oh, I think that's going to be the title of the episode. (laughs) 
So I, dude, I fucking hope not, dude. Don't I? I don't want this fucking title to be Scoff Sniper. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to fucking dig deep and uh, and find something else in this fucking episode to call it um, to call this episode. Um, but yeah. Anyway, dude. Weird. You know, I go through my life, and even as I'm living it, like, I'll go through the week, and I think, oh, that would be a good thing to bring up on the podcast. Oh, that should come up on the podcast. That, that'd be some fertile fucking content for the podcast. And then I go and do it, and we fucking talk about whatever we talk about. And inevitably, I leave, and I think, dude, why the fuck did I not talk about A, B, and C? You know? Why am I fucking doing myself a disservice? You know, and talking about <laughs> fucking monkeys, or, uh, dude, even social media for the fucking hundredth time. Like, you people want new stuff, you know? You don't want to hear me fucking bleeding all over the floor talking about social media for the fucking hundredth time, do you? Anyway. Maybe I should start taking notes throughout my week about shit to talk about. Or maybe I shouldn't. Maybe maybe I'll just leave well enough alone. You know? I, um, there's a... have You, you know in Sopranos? You know when uh, Tony Soprano gets fucking... Spoiler alert, <laughs> Tony Soprano gets shot at like like the end of season five or something like that. Or maybe, this, I, I don't know. But there's uh, the first couple episodes, he's like in the hospital and he's like in this dream. He's like in a coma and he's in like in this dream state or whatever. And they talk about this Ajibwe saying. It's like something like, I go through my life and all the while the great wind is carrying me across the sky. Or something like that. I know I'm fucking fucking it up, but... It's something like that. But uh, as I said, I was like, you know, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Or maybe I should just do what I'm doing. And all the while, a great wind is carrying me across the sky. You know, you know, anything, you know, this idea in Taoism of the uncarved block. You know, the it, it, there's, well, there's this idea in Taoism called a Wu Wei, which a lot of times gets translated as no action or inaction. And... Uh, look, I'm just a fucking cracker ass dude from the West who's like reading the stuff in translation. So what the fuck do I know? But obviously Wu Wei is something in scholarly writing about Chinese philosophy gets debated a lot. And I think especially, uh, in the, you know, in, you know, in the early translations, it seems it's talked about and conveyed as if it's the, 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 uh, the principle of Wu Wei is non-action. Like you don't do anything. And so there was this confusing aspect of the philosophy of Taoism, which was like, uh, you know, do nothing and everything will be accomplished. And that was a very counterintuitive thing. Like, how can I do nothing and have things be accomplished? But I think it's come to be understood that Wu Wei actually means no unnecessary action. You know, this idea that anything you do with intention is not going to succeed. You know, return to the state of the uncarved block um, and everything will be accomplished. You know, just... Hold the center, stick to the mean, do no unnecessary action, you know, try to live in the Tao in the way, uh, move with confidence, and all things will be completed of themselves. Do you know what I mean? There was, uh, there was an author who was a, he, a popularist of Taoism who tried to you know, sort of, you know, find a, a thoughtful way to convey the ideas of Taoism to a Western audience. And he wrote these books called The Tao of Pooh and The Day of Piglet by a guy named Benjamin Hoff. And they're actually really good. I highly recommend them. It's the kind of thing that you don't want to like. Like, if you're into something, you don't want it to become popularized. And, like, there's these books like The Tao of Sex and The Tao of Business. Fucking bullshit. But these books are fucking really great. Uh, The Tao of Pooh and The Day of Piglet. And, And I think 
if I remember correctly, I read these like fucking like 15 years ago, but I think he uses Piglet as the embodiment of this philosophy of the uncarved block and Wu Wei, no unnecessary action. Piglet is just good. He's just a good person. And the fact that he doesn't even know it makes him all, makes him all the more good. Do you know? Like if it was somebody trying to be good, it wouldn't be as effective as someone as someone who just is what they are. Do you know? Um, so yeah, I think I'm trying to just equate that to no unnecessary action in the podcast. You know, the more I think, what should I be doing for this show? What should I be What should I be doing to make it better? Those are all fine things to think about, but let's let time do the work it needs to do. Do you know? Let's just let that thought marinate. Let's be mindful. Let's continue doing the podcast. If we're talking about it, it's coming up for a reason. It doesn't need to be anything. Do you know what I mean? And I'd encourage you to just think about that in your own life, you know? Keep your eye on the prize. Sometimes things come up that have to be addressed. But otherwise, trust that all the while a great wind is carrying you across the sky. The work that's needing to be done is taking place. And, uh, you know, it's like hands on the face of a fucking clock. The more you watch it, the less they seem to move. But just let the current do its work and you'll look up in a short amount of time and the hands will have moved and you'll be much further um, than where you started. Like this episode, episode 20 of the fucking podcast. Dude, that's crazy. This thing didn't exist a couple months ago. Now we're at episode 20. Uh, we're almost halfway to 50. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I mean, I said I'm going to do at least 100 episodes. Dude, we're almost a quarter of the way through. You know, and already this has been a lot of fun. Dude, we've covered so much ground on this podcast, you know, and it's, there's fucking no end in sight, man. And I told you it's my favorite part of the week. And I, you know, I want it to be, (laughs) dude, I'd love it to be the best part of your week also, but, uh, I'm not going to shoot that high. I just hope you're entertained. You know, I hope you like what we talk about. I hope you like hanging out with me for an hour a week. I hope you like the shit that we talk about. And, um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast everywhere. Everywhere you find fucking podcasts, you can find this one. Go ahead and subscribe. Uh, if you want to help us grow this thing, think of one person in your life who you think would like it and just send them an episode. If you want to blast it out on social media, you can, but it'd probably be more effective to think of one, two, or three people in your life who you think would like it and just send it to them and tell them to check it out. Uh, you can connect with us uh, on Instagram and Twitter at this is Pod. Or with me personally, uh, at this is M X O X O. Uh, again, if you want to send me something, send me an email. This is M pod at Gmail. And uh, otherwise, dude, find uh, M the Air Apparent on YouTube. We post the episodes there. I post clips, clips from the podcast and also all my music's there. And uh, stream my playlist of original music, Gentleman Caller, on Spotify. Just look up M the Air Apparent. That's the letter M the h-e-i-r apparent on spotify the featured playlist on my profile is gentleman caller it's all my original music from 2019 go ahead and give it a stream loop that shit man loop it turn the volume down go to bed you just let that shit play and uh help your boy fill the war chest and otherwise you're great i want to be just like you when i grow up so thanks for listening to the podcast thanks for being you don't change man don't fucking change dude just keep being you I love you just the way you are, man. I'm like Mr. Rogers up in this motherfucker. I fucking love you just the way you are. Don't change. And keep tuning into the motherfucking podcast. It's your boy saying thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. 
and ciao for now.